Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We may never know exactly how the COVID got loose upon humanity, unless there's some brave Chinese whistleblower who somehow or other held on to serious evidence and has squirreled it away and is going to unleash it on the world at some date in the future. But we do know this for sure. The liar, Dr. Fauci, his lawyerly pronouncements about the him and his people and Peter Daszak and EcoHealth Alliance and the U.S. is not involved in gain-of-function research. Senator Paul, you have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we have the breakdown for you on how that lawyerly stuff works. And as I suspected, it has to do with specific research jargon that normal people know what we mean when we say gain of function, but a super lawyerly expert in the field could say, well, they wouldn't say it out loud, but they would they would know, yeah, we're doing precisely what you're accusing us of doing, but you don't know the right terminology, so I can deny it. We'll have those particulars for you in a couple of minutes. On a different topic, I actually think uh, the planet is warming. The climate is changing. The climate's changed throughout the history of Earth, you know. I think man probably plays a role in it, um, and and I think it would be great if we could have a greener energy supply and treat the planet a little more gently, since there are, you know, seven, eight billion of us at this point. Uh, I'm not any sort of denier. I say that just to lead up to the next couple of thoughts and, and tapes we want to play for you. The view on the left is that we have to tear everything down that we're doing and immediately go to existing so-called green technologies, no matter the expense. Putting aside the fact that a lot of the so-called green technologies aren't green at all when you deal with some of the after effects, you know, what to do with these giant lithium batteries, what to do with all the spent solar cells, what to do uh, with all the electric car batteries. Uh, Meanwhile, how are you going to generate all the power you need to charge those batteries? At this point, it's got to be, at least to some extent, fossil fuels. Unless you want to plunge the economy into just a nightmare. Which brings us to another often overlooked aspect of government, the governance on the left, which is that it is the robust and healthy engine of capitalism that produces enough funds to even think about doing this stuff. It's only the richness of the American economy that makes it possible to for instance, put up a, a, a big solar farm or a bunch of windmills that are an eyesore and thoop, 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 make people insane. Um, it's only because of the largesse of capitalism that we've lifted billions of people out of poverty and out of uh, infant mortality and ill health and the rest of it and, and given them pretty good lives. Uh, read uh, Enlightenment Now by uh, uh, Thomas Pinker. It's fabulous. It's really interesting book. Um but they, they act like that isn't, isn't true. And so, again, they want to absolutely stab the current economy in the belly and bleed it for the money to pay for windmills and, and Chinese-made solar panels. The alternative to that, in my mind, and people like me who, who believe we need to do something, but we also recognize that China China's pledge 
Everybody's gathering in uh, Glasgow, I think, right now. Uh, I'd love to be there. Go there, by the way. I've never been to Scotland. Anyway, um, everybody's gathering there to to talk about their pledges and how they're doing and their new pledges and how they're going to reduce that and and and, and carbon uh, emission that and then uh, trade off this and well, China's not even going, but China's current pledge. I guess Winnie the Pooh is going to go via Zoom conference or something like that. Anyway. Ah, so Chairman Xi, his pledge is we're going to keep jacking up our emissions and by a lot until the year 2030. Then we'll start to taper it off. Don't trust China. So, no, I don't trust China. China is a-hole, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, so the idea that the U.S. should stab itself in the belly and, and the blood that gushes forth should be used to pay for today's technology, the alternate, which I was starting to get to a second ago, is that we agree, all right, this is a priority, and we have a space race toward renewable energy. And call it green energy, whatever you want, responsible energy. Because, you know, burning dinosaur juice is a miraculously uh, efficient energy source. I mean, people fail to appreciate oil, how incredibly efficient it is you you have a gallon of something just a gallon you can picture that picture a gallon jug of milk well you distill oil down into gasoline and that gallon can push my big old suv like 27 miles with four people in it a gallon jug that's astounding a car is a big machine so we've got this incredibly efficient source of energy. And we're talking about just dumping it for today's technology. The alternative is keep the economy roaring and have a space race toward tomorrow's technology. Meanwhile, for the love of all that is good and holy and economically feasible, don't, please, don't give up our domestic energy production. That's the worst thing we could do. We're going to play a tape of Jim Jordan in a minute who puts it even more in, in colorful terms. It is unimaginably stupid. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. We have given away energy self-sufficiency in the name of displaying our enlightenment. So now we now we buy every bit as much uh, oil, but from incredibly irresponsible and oppressive regimes, including our enemies. You know, it's like, uh, it's like the, the green nut jobs. I'm not talking about reasonable people who just want the planet to be clean. I'm talking about your nut jobs. You forbid us to do all sorts of things, produce oil in particular, in our shores. And you farm that responsibility out to countries that are far more irresponsible and polluting than we are producing that same energy. It's idiotic. It's idiotic. I want to get to uh, the congressional hearings in a second or two. Because there's one one guy who's uh, I did not know his act, uh, Byron Donalds. He's a rep from uh, Florida. Man, he brings it. We'll play that to you in just a second. Quick word from our friends at Car Shield. Instead of you, so you got some expensive repair on your car. You didn't see it coming. You're going to waste all sorts of time dealing with it and all sorts of money. Well. 
taking care of a covered repair, CarShield's administrators, they do it for you. They handle the paperwork, expensive payments, so you don't have to, no hassles, no headaches. Seriously, CarShield can save you thousands. Thanks to their protection plan, you won't be worried about expensive repairs. And you get to choose the mechanic that does the work. CarShield's administrators take care of the rest. It's like your own personal team of auto repair problem solvers. And plans from CarShield even provide coast-to-coast roadside assistance, rental coverage, trip reimbursement, all at no additional charge. Wow. So whether your car has 5,000 miles, 150,000 miles, it's just getting off warranty, whatever. They have a monthly coverage option to fit your needs. Over 1 million drivers trust CarShield. Just go to carshield.com slash Armstrong. You'll save 10%. That's carshield.com slash Armstrong. Deductible may reply. It's a win-win. Carshield.com slash Armstrong. So what happened on Capitol Hill yesterday in Congress was that um, some energy executives were dragged out. And the Democrats, who, of course, you know, because they're in a tiny, tiny minority, minority, they have the chairmanships. And so the chairman was ripping these oil execs a new one for daring to produce oil. And a couple of reps, in, in particular, Byron Donald of Florida, got up and responded to the chairwoman's screed. Let's start with 70, Michael. I know that the climate activists in Twitter world, which Dave Chappelle says doesn't exist, and he's right because it's just people who have nothing better to do but type on their keyboards, and we do it too here in Congress. But let's be very clear. You need an apology because what I witnessed today um, was just rank intimidation by the chair of this committee. Trying to get you to pledge on what you're going to spend your money on is a gross violation of the First Amendment. And just because we're members of Congress and we got microphones and we pass laws does not mean that we also have the ability to infringe on your ability to what to organize, whether it's API or anybody else, or what you choose to spend your money on. It is disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. The man's on a roll. Let's just go on. 71. Somebody needs to go call Merrick Garland, tell him to get in here and watch the intimidation that came from this very panel today. Because this is not about defending big oil or defending big anything. It's about defending the ability of people in our country to be free, say what they want, think what they want, spend their money how they choose. And if we're not going to be any better than the Chinese, how do we ever expect to beat them on the world stage when we're cutting our neck When it comes to energy production, while they are burning more coal, they are burning more oil, they're increasing their emissions, and they're not showing up in Scotland. You know why they're not showing up in Scotland? Because they're interested in building an economy. They're interested in becoming the dominant economic player across the globe. They're interested in becoming the dominant military player across the globe. And while we joke around and mess around intimidating you guys who frankly heat our homes, you cool our fridges, you keep our cars going, This is insane. So I'm sorry for you. And I'm sorry for the people in our country who have to witness shenanigans like this and witness circuses like this. That's why they call that one show on HBO, whatever it is, The Circus, because that's exactly what this is. Let's go ahead and hit Jim Jordan as well, talking about the the idea of farming out our oil production to loathsome dictators and then begging them for it. I'll tell you what's frustrating is a member of Congress telling American oil and gas companies to reduce production at the same time the President of the United States is begging OPEC to increase production. That may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but that's the scenario we're in. God bless Chevron saying they're going to increase production. Oh, that's a typo. Okay. I thought it was 72 seconds, 12 seconds. Yeah, well, I would agree with Jim Jordan there. Uh, Just And, uh, you know, all all the woke young college kids who are talking about how you know, press of the U.S. is they walk around with the uh, uh, Chinese assembled smartphones in their pockets. 
it just, you know, and all the green warriors saying we can't have the Keystone Pipeline, which transports oil that's going to be used anyway. But instead of safely and cleanly through a pipeline, you got to put it on trains and trucks that have accidents and spills and burn fossil fuels themselves. It's just, it's virtue signaling nonsense. And I want the same thing that they do, ultimately, I think. Although, you know, I'm, I'm taking them at the word that they're, uh, they're, uh, their motives are pure, that what they really want is just a clean air and a green planet and the end of global warming and you don't want catastrophic hurricanes, blah, blah, blah. We've heard the list, you know. But uh, honestly, I think what they really want is the admiration of their peers. They just want to be worshipped as more uh, enlightened than now. That's why they don't think through the particulars of this. That's why they don't see the enormous stupidity involved in, for instance, the most careful oil producer in the history of the world, the United States, in the name of the environment, farming out our production to some of the most irresponsible, dirty, nasty oil producers on Earth. That's the only possible explanation. All they want to do is be seen as enlightened at the latest coffee shop where they're ordering their overpriced faux milkshakes. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Anyway, enough of that. On to uh, to different fair. Oh, Mark uh, Berserkerberg changed the name of his company. Did you hear about that? Why and to what? And then some of the jokes about it coming up. Stay with us if you can. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, how you doing? Anxiously awaiting my COVID test to come back. I think I just have a cold. Colds. Who knew? Who remembers having a cold? I'll be danged. That's right. Last like 10 days, as I recall. That sucks. Anyway, I'll live with it. Jack, on the other hand, has the uh, Fauci fever in his feet. Coronavirus! That's right, Dr. Cardi. Um, and so he's feeling pretty awful. Uh, so uh, you just got me, but we're uh, we're enjoying ourselves. I hope you are. Got a lot of good stuff to come, including getting into the lawyerly details about the whole Dr. Fauci was a gain-of-function researcher, wasn't it? I'm starting to get the dodge. I'm starting to see the scam. But we just got a couple minutes for this. I want to get into it. It's a big story. Everybody loves Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, he looks like Howdy Doody. He acts like Satan. Mark Zuckerberg, clip 50, please. It is time for us to adopt a new company brand to encompass everything that we do. To reflect who we are and what we hope to build, I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. Our mission remains the same. It's still about bringing people together. Our apps and their brands, they're not changing either. And we are still the company that designs technology around people. But now we have a new North Star to help bring the metaverse to life. And we have a new name that reflects the full breadth of what we do and the future that we want to help build. Um, so what is it? <laughs> what, what do you mean? What are you going to do? What are you talking about? Jerry Willis has a bit of a summary for us. I think it might elucidate uh, some of the details. 52, please. Zuckerberg wants to double down on his multi-billion investment in the metaverse. That's a 3D version of the web that would transform gaming, entertainment, shopping, and fitness, even your morning business meeting. Users would access the metaverse using 
virtual reality headsets and, for example, instead of seeing your workmates via a two-dimensional Zoom screen, you view a three-dimensional version of the meeting. Facebook has already announced its plans to hire 10,000 people in Europe to develop the metaverse. You know, I don't need to, like, have a 3D virtual meeting where everybody's a cartoon character. I don't think that would help productivity at all. Um, I think it'd be enormously distracting. Some of the the fun stuff sounds like fun, but, you know, I'd, I, if they asked me to go downtown and, and, you know, earn my money the hard way in, in some of the seedier sections of town or get involved with Facebook, it'd be a tough decision to make. Well, I don't care. I don't, I'm not here to do advertising for Mark Zuckerberg, but I hear this uh, feature is pretty funny. Clip number 53. I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. At another point in the video, the Twitterverse noticed a bottle of barbecue sauce being used as a bookend. It was immediately theorized that it was selected by algorithm as something humans enjoy. The reaction to the new name was both instantaneous and relentless. It's still going on. Lots of jokes wondering if they'll partner with a company named Musil. Folks had fun with the new logo, most of it at Zuckerberg's expense, but he can afford it. Lots of comments along these lines. Can't have problems with Facebook if the company isn't called Facebook. From The Daily Show, going to take a while to get used to saying he was radicalized in a meta group. Many people pointing out the NBA star Ron Artest changed his name to Meta World Peace a decade ago. And finally, Meta is short for, I met a girl in high school who I had a huge crush on only to find her years later on Facebook posting anti-vax links and Tom Hanks pedophile (laughs) theories. If you ever miss a segment of the Armstrong and Getty Show, we put it up for you. Armstrong and Getty on demand. Grab grab it wherever you grab podcasts. Thank you for being here. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, this is fun. This is terrific. Jack and I uh, did an extra-large podcast the other day with Steve Hilton, host of the podcast California Rebel Base, as well as the host of his Fox News show, The Next Revolution, with Steve Hilton, and enjoyed the conversation so much. We asked whether he might be willing to uh, chat now and again, and he uh, kindly said yes. Steve Hilton joins us now. Steve, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, and it's wonderful to be back with you. Thank you. Unfortunately, Jack has the COVID and is shivering under the covers. Uh, I, Joe, have a cold, but because it could conceivably be the COVID, and I'm waiting for a note from the doctor uh, after a test, I'm uh, cowering in my home. I'm actually not cowering at all. I'm feeling quite good, uh, just a little sniffly. And uh, can we start there? I have a philosophical question for you. And and you, like we, are based out of Calunicornia, at least most of the time. <laughs> Where where you can have a college town like Davis or or just the San Francisco Bay Area, where people the moment this began they double locked their doors, they 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 are hugging their knees, weeping softly and uh, hiding away from humanity. Then you can drive literally fifteen minutes from some towns. You'll be in another county where people are like, all right, if you if you believe in the vaccine, get it. But I'm living my life. A, a much different approach to it. What, what what have you observed about humanity over the last eighteen months or so? I think it's so interesting because it it just tells you, I think, how how much. Um, well, there's two things. First of all, how much people um, really kind of 
act out in their daily lives increasingly their ideological viewpoints and so it's it's fascinating to see that you'd think that in a way um you just have you you, you talk about your politics you maybe have a conversation about that you think about the election in the old days you vote and then you live your life and everyone's basically the same but it seems to me about everything now is about virtue signaling particularly for the left it's like saying I'm a good person because I wear my mask and I've been back and I go on about how important it is to be vaccinated and I'm ultra cautious and I won't let my kids play with your kids because we want to keep them safe and everything has to be kept safe. And it's now sort of playing out your political and ideological and philosophical viewpoints in your everyday decisions, which is to me really weird. And I have to say, of course, you're right, say that, you know, people have different um, outlooks and they di- and they and they do it. Uh, differently based on where they live and what they think. But it seems to me that this manifestation of your virtue is particularly a thing that goes on on the left. Because actually, it seems to me, the default position, the normal position, would be to live your life, not to get completely hysterical about something where the data tells us for a lot of people they're not that vulnerable. And so I don't want to rehearse all those arguments, but actually the normal position would be to not go crazy. So why are these people going crazy? It's because they want to show how seriously they take it and they listen to the science and so except that the science would actually point you in the direction of those who want to live their lives. That's what's so insane about the whole thing. And that insanity, I think, is now just almost like we talk about the virus being endemic um, and here with us for good. It seems to me that that insanity and that virtue signaling is now endemic. And we're going to be seeing this for a long, long time. Well, maybe the most interesting aspect of it to me is that every, I agree with everything you said. I understand how ideological uh, ideology rather can trump common sense, trump intelligence at times. You get whipped up. Everybody's cheering and chanting. When we've all felt it. But this is life and death stuff. This is disease. This is risk and reward. This is the the joy and necessity of being with those we care about versus loneliness. This is suicide versus happiness. I mean, this is the fundamental stuff of an organism trying to keep itself alive. And there are people who have isolated themselves to the point of despair when any rational analysis of the risk to, say, a healthy 50-year-old any rational analysis says, get together with your friends. If you want to get the vaccine, I did the first minute I could. Get together, live your life, meet them outside if you want. But why in the world would you isolate yourself? Well, this comes to the, actually the second point I was going to make, and I'm very glad you gave me the opportunity. I didn't get it in the first time, um, <laughs> which is the second part of it is, and I'm going to use a word now that is the entire time applied in classic um, manner by the left and the, and the establishment media who, who always accuse other people of doing the exact thing that they do. The word is misinformation. And actually, there's been such a huge amount of misinformation about the virus. I think, and all through the pandemic, it's whipped these people up into this state of fear and frenzy, totally out of proportion, as you say, to any kind of rational analysis of risks and individualized risk because one of the great things if we can use that term obviously the pandemic's been awful and horrendous for so many people one of the best better things about it is that actually it doesn't affect people equally and universally and we've got very very good data and we had the data right from the beginning that gave us the chance to be really precise in the targeting of our measures which of course we totally ignored and instead went for this blanket approach treating everyone the same 
even though the virus does not treat everyone the same. And so you've had this misinformation out there about how frightening the whole thing is. And it leads to the kind of insanity is just hard to believe. I mean, I'm, I mean, literally hard to believe. There was a letter. I'm going to do this on my Fox show on Sunday night. And we talked about it with our team. And I said, hang on a second. Is this a parody? Can this be real? <laughs> There's a letter in, I think it was Slate magazine online from a parent. Um, it was one of those advice columns. And it was asking the parenting advice person on Slate magazine, who was describing a situation where this parents, I think it was an 11-year-old daughter, um, her, her, she and her partner had gone out and left the kid on their own. And when she came back, uh, the kid was playing with her friend at home. And this, this, this person who wrote this letter, it was just so unbelievable the way she described her, my kid. They were not social distancing. They were together. This is incredibly unsafe. We've trained her to be safe. She knows that she you can be outside on the patio, but it's only five feet, so she can't have a friend on there because you can't appropriately distance. They weren't wearing masks. They were eating a bowl of popcorn together. How dangerous. It was just on and on to the extent you thought that this can't be real. This is like a parody. But I think it is real from everything we can see. And you think, well, how is it that a, that a parent can get to the point where they are angry with their daughter, I think it was a daughter, for doing one of the most natural, normal and safe things, which is playing with her friend calmly at home. It's what you want to see. It's just unbelievable. And, they, and so part, a big part of it, I believe, is the misinformation about how dangerous this is to everybody, which is simply not true. Right. At, at one point, and we made, uh, we've made we gone over this ground quite a number of times, the poll that came out that showed that folks on the left thought that the, the COVID was 70 or 80 times more dangerous to children than it actually was. And if you're in that informational yeah. silo and you believe that sincerely, you're not an idiot. You're just misinformed. And I guess you yeah. blame the... Uh, the, the, the clickbait uh, information economy for that. Uh, in the time we have left uh, with Steve Hilton, host of the brand new and well-received podcast, California Rebel Base, um, your thoughts on the little kids uh, getting jabbed, the mandatory vaccines to be in school. It's so outrageous, and it's another example of, of, of this crazed approach that we're seeing, particularly in California, um, where... You've got these public health so-called experts now determining policy in a way that is clearly dangerous to children. How can you say to a parent, we're not going to educate your child properly? Okay, they say, well, you can do remote learning. We know how good that is. We're not going to educate your child, even though you pay your taxes for it. We're not going to do it because you need to get a vaccine that the child doesn't need. The, the flu is more dangerous. Look at the data. We just have to, again, they keep telling us, look at the data. The flu is now more dangerous than this virus to children. That's clear. If a parent wants to get the virus, the, the vaccine for their child, fine. I believe in parental choice. But the idea that you're going to stop them getting educated, especially when you know that the people who are going to suffer, the exact people, these Democrats who are making these rules, claim to speak for the most, the poorest, the most vulnerable in our communities, Latinos, black people, they're the ones who are going to be hurt most by this. And yet they're doing it anyway because they, they, they just, where we've got to with the public health experts driving all this policy is a kind of biosecurity state where the only thing that matters is the ultra-cautious approach to any kind of medical issue rather than having a proper balance of risks and rewards, exactly as you said earlier. Um, it's, it's, and it's so offensive because, because the cruelty to, of it 
is something that I just think we have to focus on. It's not just, you know, often we, when we talk about that, we talk about incompetence and, and waste and all these kinds of words. There's something deeper going on here, the cruelty, the inhumanity of making, putting parents in that position, first of all, where they, all they want to do is protect their children. I'm a parent, anyone listening is a parent. You know, it's like the only thing you really care about in the end is making sure you protect your children and they're telling you that you're wrong then when your instinct tells you I don't need to get this vaccine for my kids I don't want to get the vaccine for my kids they're not particularly at risk why should I take the risk of something going wrong you hear these stories etc that kind of natural thought process of a parent and they're telling you no you're wrong we're going to make you do this and if you don't your kid can't go to school it is absolutely outrageous well, those of us who love liberty, and I know you're um, among us, have been warning that there are there are just inescapable aspects of humanity in the lust for power, and that power given is extremely difficult to take back. Yeah. And and for instance, the University of California system has announced uh, recently a whistleblower just sent us a letter saying we're mandating flu shots. And if you don't get the flu shot, you've at least got to wear a mask. And it's it's difficult to explain to people without coming off as paranoid because we've had so much liberty in this country for so long. You need to be extremely careful granting temporary emergency powers because they're neither temporary nor reserved for emergencies. Exactly. And 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 they've seen that they can keep pushing at this. That's why we had Dr. Mark Galley, California's, I can't remember his exact title, the the, the, the sort of top doctor that, that is always wheeled out to make these announcements, saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to make the kids wear the masks all the way through this, you know, but it helps with flu as well, so why not? You know, and then, uh, you know, we said at the beginning of this, you know, watch what happens. They're going to be making us wear masks forever. And people say, that's ridiculous, that's alarmist, you're being crazy. No, right. we're seeing it happen right in front of our eyes. This is what they want because they've realized that they can use this 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 kind of, so-called health and keeping us safe and this, as, 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 a, as a weapon to take away our freedom and to take away, more important than that, in a, in a way, our responsibility because freedom goes with responsibility. And you're only going to have well-adjusted members of the community, Americans, who, citizens, who can be responsible, who can build this country as we have for hundreds of years, if you've got that combination of freedom and responsibility, you're free to act in a way that's responsible. If you take that away, you're turning everyone basically into kids or serfs or whatever you want to do, but they're certainly not responsible adult citizens. Amen. Steve Hilton hosted the podcast California Rebel Base, as well as his Fox News show, The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton. Hey, on your uh, Fox News show this weekend, are you going to touch on the gigantic spending bills that the Democrats can't quite get their act together on? It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, it's such a fiasco. Um, They've sent Biden to Europe utterly humiliated. He begged them. He went up there to twice now. He's gone up to Congress and begged them to pass something. He went up again yesterday just before he got on the plane to go to Europe, said, I need this. Otherwise, my whole presidency, the whole of the party is on the line. And they just told him to drop dead and said, sorry, we don't trust you. We don't trust each other. We're not going to do it. Of course, in one sense, um, if they don't get this done, that's good news, because one of the things I hate most about everything they're talking about, you can argue about the individual elements of this, and some of it I'm not, you know, you could, you could make a case for um, some of the specific items. But one thing that is absolutely indefensible is the way that this centralizes power in the hands of the federal government and the federal bureaucracy. That here, is here. totally 
antithetical to the idea of America. And as I've been arguing, it's, to me, it's on its face unconstitutional. The Tenth Amendment is very clear. If it's not specifically in the, in the Constitution, it's reserved for the states respectively or the people. Those are the words of the Tenth Amendment. I don't understand how this isn't being challenged on constitutional grounds, never mind the politics of it. Well, so the fact that there's, there's been this complete fiasco, I think, is humiliating for Biden and the Democrats. Um, and at the same time, those of us who want to stop this kind of centralized power grab should be cheering it on. Steve Hilton will have the link to your uh, California Rebel-based podcast at armstrongandgetty.com so if folks can find it easily. Always enjoy the chat. Thanks very much. Great to be with you. All right. Talk soon. More to come. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, how you doing? I understand that we had a uh, technical issue on the network, and a number of folks did not receive the Steve Hilton interview. I just uh, spent a delightful 10, 12, 15 minutes chatting with Steve Hilton of Fox News fame, and he's got a brand new podcast. Well, if, if that indeed happened to you, uh, we apologize for that problem, but you can go to wherever you get podcasts and just grab uh, Armstrong and Getty On Demand, hour three from today's show, and, uh, and and listen to it at your convenience. So if that ever happens, and there's a link at armstrongandgetty.com, but really wherever you get podcasts, um, just you know search on Armstrong and Getty, and it'll take you right to the variety of fine free products we offer. Um, again, we apologize uh, for any... Uh, you know, discomfort, uh, physical pain, emotional anguish, etc. that might have caused. So a buddy of mine is visiting uh, today, uh, well, the last several days. He, he flew in to spend some time, and we're, uh, we're going to be playing some golf and kicking back and having a good time in spite of my sniffles, which is probably not the COVID anyway, and he's had it and been vaccinated, and he said, screw it, I'm coming, uh, which I appreciate it. Uh, so we were watching the football game last night, uh, which included the charming Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman. Let's, uh, they had a couple of interesting moments lately. Let's start with clip eight, Michael. I have peed in a bottle while calling an NFL touchdown, I swear to God. Really? I, I pee, it was Good pee, for yes. you. I was peeing wow. in a trash can. It, it's true. That's uh, crazy. They, they handed me like a little water bottle. I'm like, I can't. The half wouldn't end. So that's not going to do it. Give me yeah. that. And I was wearing a parka because it was freezing. It was in Milwaukee. While you're talking, you did that. While you're speaking. We you came back from a break. I was peeing and the action <laughs> started. And I, I called a touchdown while urine was coming out of me. That is that is absolutely charming. I did uh, a lot of sports play-by-play early in my broadcasting career, and I never had to do that, I can tell you that. Uh, drink less or something, Troy. You can get through a half, surely. What? Uh, and then, uh, I guess I haven't heard this, but they tell me clip 10 is a little, uh, little uncomfortable. Go ahead. The Cowboys against the Vikings on Sunday night. That's on NBC, and the Giants and Chiefs on ESPN Monday night. Yeah, and Joe Buck and John Smoltz. There you I'm go. I'm a triple header. I got you. I heard you. You're listening. Come on, Daddy. <laughs> That'll be game five of the World Series. All right. That, that wasn't that good. Come on, Daddy. What did he say? Go, Daddy, whatever. That was nothing. That was nothing. You're fired. We're holding, uh, I used to do this all the time in the Dead Flowers, my band. 
I'd say, that's it. You're fired. We're holding auditions right now to replace you. Play something for me. That's good. You're hired. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, Steve Hilton referred to Joe Biden with a giant gamble of his presidency, saying that, uh, look, to his Democratic colleagues, if you don't pass this, here's the deal. It's not malarkey. If you don't pass this, the future of my presidency is done. It's a failed presidency. The Democratic Party will fall apart. We'll lose the House. We'll lose the Senate. you got to get this done. you going to get this done? Okay, get this done. And then they didn't get it done. And they're talking about voting again uh, next week. So, you know, what happens? Who knows? I don't care. I hope, well, I do care. I, I hope they fail because I think their success uh, it would be bad for the country. I hope they fail in the policies. Foreign policy, yeah, of course, I hope the United States uh, succeeds. And in large measure, not entirely, but to a large extent, the Biden administration has continued the Trump administration's policies toward China. And I say, uh, good good for you. Thumbs up. I'm going to be fair about this. For instance, the FCC just booted a Chinese phone carrier out of the country. They gave him 60 days for some reason. But the FCC, which apparently does something, uh, they govern radio, but I just I don't know what they do. Um, they cited the danger that Beijing might use the company to eavesdrop or disrupt U.S. communications and, quote, engage in espionage or other harmful activities. U.S. regulators are expelling a unit of China Telecom Limited, one of the country's three major state-owned carriers. Uh, they say it's a national security threat. China Telecom America's Corp. is required to stop providing domestic, interstate, and international service in the U.S. within 60 days. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's the long story short. Biden administration has extended efforts begun under the then President Donald Trump to limit access to U.S. top technology and markets for state owned Chinese companies due to concern that their security risks, because they are, are helping with military development, because they are. I will tell you this people are loving the Let's Go Brandon Armstrong and Getty wear. From the T-shirts to the hats to the hoodies, check it out at armstrongandgetty.com. Helps keep all the fellas on the payroll. We'd appreciate it. Thank you. Armstrong and Getty.